fine. It's good to see everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, go ahead and stand on up. Give a high five to the person right behind you. Give a high five to the person right next to you. And turn to the person on the other side. I'm really happy you're here. All right. <laughs> it is great to be together in this new year. Let's have a seat. I uh, am so thankful for the opportunity to be here with the Lighthouse Church. I want to bring you greetings uh, from your brothers and sisters in the Long Beach Church. Uh, that's where my wife Marina and I, we lead the ministry there. We're really excited of being there the past two years, and I'm going to share a little bit more about that later. But um, So I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters right down the 605 right there. And... Um, we are excited about uh, this new year coming up. I just want to, I just want to show you a picture of my daughters, just so you can meet them. Okay. This is my daughter Isabella. This is her first day of school at kindergarten this past year. She's five now. This is my daughter Raquel, in one of her many princess costumes. We call her Rocky. And then my wife is pregnant with our third child coming along this uh, July. So um, my life is about to get crazy. I can just imagine it. My wife didn't want me to show you a picture of her. I don't know why, but she just is kind of shy that way. But um, we've been married now for about over eight years, and uh, we are excited about life. And we love the church, we love God, we love each other, we love our girls. It's been a learning experience ever since we got married. Married couples, you know what I'm talking about? Um, so, but, but I'm excited. I'm excited about this year. I hope that you are too. If you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you and thank you so much for joining us. I do want to say something to you if you are a guest, if, you, if it's your first time. Uh, you know, we love, we're, as a church, we love having new, new people come join us and these kind of things, but today's lesson is primarily for those who are members of the church, so if you're a guest, you can go ahead and tune me out and just kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, but you can pay attention too, but I'm just saying, uh, primarily I want to talk to those who are members here at the Lighthouse Church. I have a message for you that I want to just share with you, and I hope that it encourages you and, and inspires you this morning. Um, there have been two events in my life in the past year that have caused me to think a bit deeper about what we're doing here and where we're going as a church. It prompted some thoughts that I'm going to share with you this morning. Uh, first was just an interview that I had with a um, kind of a printing company in the, in the Long Beach area. They wanted to find out, as a church, what, like, what can... If you're going to be our client, what can we do for you? And they asked me the question, what's your vision for your church for the next five years? And I sat there kind of stumped, you know, like confused, like, what are we going to do? I don't know. And we talked and, you know, I kind of made up some things here and there, you know, things I wanted to see done. But it made me pause and think. And then... And then we had our uh, teen camp. Teens, do you guys go to teen camp this past year? Teen camp was awesome this past year. We had a great time. My wife and I are not technically in the teen ministry anymore, but 
um, as we came out of the teen ministry, we, we, we wanted to continue directing the teen camp for the L.A. Church. So uh, we go to camp every year with our two girls. We love it. And uh, this past year, I was praying. And I was thinking about my daughter, who in five years will be going to our, uh, what we have, a, a youth camp, a preteen camp. And I thought to myself, wow, time flies. Time is going to go by like that. And all of a sudden, my daughter is going to start asking me some tough questions about God and why we have to go to church all the time or whatever. You know what I mean? So it just, it just what, it, what it did, what these two kind of questions and these two conversa- uh, just either conversations with another person or just in my brain, what it made me do is it just made me pause for a little bit and made me think about my life. Where do I want to be? How's my marriage going to be in five years? I'm not even talking about 2014. I'm just talking about in the next five years. What, what's my marriage going to be like? What are my friendships going to be like? What's the church as a whole going to be like? And then I started asking deeper questions. Am I investing in what's most important? If I'm not investing in what's most important, what is it that's holding me back? Or what's the obstacle that's blocking me? You know, I believe we all have vision, especially in the new year. You have vision. You have vision for what's going to happen this year. You're excited. You have vision for our children. We have vision for our careers. God made us this way because that's the way he is. But vision becoming reality doesn't just happen, right? You can dream all you want to, but there's got to be specific plans put in place and all this kind of stuff. And I just thought about God and what God's vision is for his people. You know, in the Old Testament, God had vision for his people Israel. It was a nation, the nation of Israel, to be a nation that would glorify him and bring salvation to the world. But there's a pattern that happens in the Old Testament that I want us to look at, look at regarding these Israelites. In Judges chapter 2, in verse 10, it says, After that whole generation, this is after they had spent time, after the sea had split and Moses had led them out, and they got, they got into the promised land, and it was really great stuff happening. It says, After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them they were in great distress. After all the miracles that God had done, the manna from heaven, the Red Sea splitting up, the walls of Jericho coming down. Are you guys with me? You guys have heard some of these stories, right? After all of these stories and actual factual things that happened, a whole generation of Israelites grew up who neither knew nothing about it. How is that even possible? You'd think it was great family conversation to have. 
Guys, I remember this one time my great-grandfather told me that the Jericho walls, they came down and it was incredible. And uh, You know what I'm saying? The plagues in Egypt, bread, manna falling down from heaven, but they knew nothing. They didn't have God's vision. I believe with all my heart and with deep conviction that God has allowed the church, God's people now, to remain here on earth for two reasons. Our purpose, the reason we exist as a community of Christ's followers, to bring him glory through loving him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And our mission, our task, as we love him, to seek and save what has been lost to him, to love our neighbor as ourselves and help restore and reconcile souls to God through Christ. I have a great vision, and I hope that you do too, that, and conviction that my most important resources and energy needs to be poured into God's vision for his people, the church, to love him and to love others. This is every Christian's ambition, to live a life that brings him glory and love and serve others in the hopes of bringing the lost to Christ. But we are in a spiritual war. And there are some things that I believe we can learn from the pattern of God's people in the Old Testament that I hope we will heed today. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time. I'm so grateful to be with my brothers and sisters here in the Lighthouse Church. Uh, so thankful for the many heroes of faith that are here just in this room. I pray that you would be with us this morning as we just read your word and are inspired by your word. Help us to leave here having great vision for our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. After our first year in marriage, Marina and I took a class uh, called uh, Marriage Dynamics. Have you guys done Marriage Dynamics? So Marriage Dynamics, they give you great tools to help define kind of the, some of the conflict that you may have or find in marriage. And after the, you know, one of the, one of the terms that they used in Marriage Dynamics was the term love buster. Okay, so basically something that me as a husband would do that would just bust the love. You know what I'm saying? Like just mess it up. Whether it be disrespectful judgment or annoying behavior. And I have a lot of annoying behaviors and it busted, it busted the love. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and so, and I, you know, it was an interesting class. I mean, we, at the end, we got voted like one of the most improved couples in the class. And I was like, wow, I didn't know we were that bad. <laughs> you know, but hey, your first year in marriage reveals a lot. So <laughs> we had a lot to grow in and learn. But I remember this, this term, and so what I wanted to do today is use that term, but change it. And we're going we're gonna to talk today about vision busters. What is it that messes up God's vision for his people? This happened, and we're going to look at two kind of out-of-nowhere stories in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that hopefully will help us uh, and help us to see that we can learn a lesson from history. Amen? Amen. Vision buster number one, comfort and convenience. Doesn't that look nice? I want to go there right now. You guys having church at 9.30 in the morning. I'm used to having church at 5 p.m. on Sundays. So, you know, Sundays we sleep in a little bit. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm coming down here. I'm like, whoa, this is early church. I want the hammock. 
<laughs> Comfort, right? Convenience. We like this stuff. Genesis. Look in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 13. There's a situation happening. There's a guy named Abraham and his nephew, Lot. In Genesis chapter 13, their families and their workers and their, and their you know, have grown so much that uh, Abraham and Lot discussed the idea of why don't we split up? Why don't you, our, our workers, our families are arguing too much and the land is too small. We, why don't, Abraham tells him, listen, if you choose that way, I'll go this way. And if you choose this way, I'll go that way. But let's just split up our people and go to different parts and, you know, we'll still love one another and all this kind of stuff. And so in verse 10, it says, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east, and the two men parted away. Abraham, if you read a little bit later on, ends up having to rescue Lot because of a huge war that's happening in that city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then later on, a few chapters later, we see that God is so disgusted and distressed and angered by the wickedness, the amount of wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah that he says, I'm going to destroy these cities. And Abraham begs God, no, don't do it. Lot is there. If there's only one righteous person, will you still do it? And it gets to a point, they have this discussion, it gets to a point where God's like, no, I've got to do this. This is out of control. And we look at the angel of the Lord coming in there to rescue Lot. He says, Lot, we've got to get out of here. And in verse 15, in Genesis chapter 19, in verse 15, if you don't have a Bible, try to get close to somebody who does and, and read along with us here. It says, with the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When Lot hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and his two son daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you've shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to, and it's small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. Lot goes down to this little town, and his wife, as they're running, his wife looks back, and as the Bible says it, she turns uh, to, into a pillar of salt. So she's, she's destroyed. And so now it's just Lot and his two daughters. Lot's pattern in these few chapters is to choose what is most convenient, what is most comfortable. Oh, look at this well-watered land. Let me have that. I got first dibs, I got it, right? Oh, 
the city is being destroyed and you, God, are instructing me to go to the mountains, but it's too far and I'm going to die, so let me go to this little town. It's a lot closer. Come on. And negotiates his way out of God's direct instruction. Goes down to there. And the consequences, if you read this story, it's, the, it's a crazy story. The consequences. Lot is stuck in a cave hiding with his two daughters. His two daughters realize that they have no way of maintaining their family bloodline because their husbands had died. So they decide to get their father drunk, sleep with him, and have his baby. Incest. The two daughters, both of them have a son. One is named Moab, the other one's, uh, uh, yeah, Moab, and the other one's named uh, Ben-Ami. And these two sons end up becoming the fathers of the Ammonite and Moabite nations who throughout Israelite history become some of the most fierce enemies of God's people, Israel. Think about it. One choice, one decision to do something that's convenient, that's not going to require a lot of effort, to do something that's going to provide just it's, just, it's just comfortable. There's no sacrifice required. Just one decision, actually two decisions, led to incredibly disturbing consequences. You guys with me here? This was a pattern for the Israelites in the Old Testament as they went to conquer the promised land. Instead of completely obeying God and getting rid of those God told them to, they intermarried and allowed them to stay there, and they were led astray many, many times. But for them, it was convenient for them to intermarry with the outside nations because by that, in that way, they didn't have to kick everybody out. They could all get along, and it made them more wealthy. They got more money, more land. More livestock. There's a lesson to be learned here, church. I believe with all my heart. We live in a world that loves money, comfort, leisure, things, gadgets, more and more remote control so I don't have to get out of my couch and press the button. Satan loves to put us in situations where we need to choose between what's convenient and comfortable and what will require more effort and sacrifice. This, this mindset seeps into the church. What's easier? What's and then we, we use wisdom to say this is, the wise decision here is to do this, but it's actually the, just the easier decision that doesn't maybe require sacrifice. There's a New Testament principle, though, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, as you look at God's mercy and his forgiveness, 
Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The lifestyle that God calls us to live, God's people, is one of sacrifice. You know, I think as we get older, especially in our walk with God, we want to be, we want to be more comfortable financially secure, established in our career, the nicer house, the bigger house, an extra car just in case. And, and, there's, and there's nothing necessarily technically wrong with these things, but the question is, do we live sacrificially? Sacrifice is not easy. It was never meant to be easy. Sacrifice requires faith. The Bible says here, this scripture, Paul tells the guys, he says, listen, your spiritual act of worship to God is to be a living sacrifice. I want to show a quick video here just to illustrate a little bit, uh, just an example of sacrifice that is inspiring to me personally and hopefully will inspire you. In August 2010, my wife and I, we were leading the single Spanish ministry in Boston. And I received a phone call from a brother in New Jersey saying that he recently visited the Nicaragua church and they didn't have any full staff leadership here. That really moved my heart because this is my home country. and. We felt that it was a calling from God. Uh, we have a lot of challenges because we had jobs in the United States. My wife was seven months pregnant, but we prayed a lot, we fasted a lot, and later on December in 2010, we decided to move here to Nicaragua to lead the church. Hot News recently visited our churches in Central America and was amazed at all that God is doing. We begin in Nicaragua, the largest country in Central America, but also the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. In this episode, we tell the tale of two couples, disciples who courageously left their lives of comfort behind for the sake of the gospel in Nicaragua. First up is Rudy and Mirna Andino. In 2010, they decided to leave everything behind in order to lead the church in Managua, Nicaragua, which didn't have leaders at the time. God was with them, and miracles followed their faith. When we first moved from, from Boston, this is the place that Myrna and I were used to live. Uh, she was seven months pregnant, and this is uh, my sister's house, and this is the room that uh, we used to live for two months, and this is where we used to sleep. It has been over two years since we made the decision to move to Nicaragua. We have seen a lot of miracles from God. We have seen the uh, campus ministry 
uh, growing from zero to ten disciples. We have seen also the teen ministry flourishing. When we have six new uh, Bible talk leaders, we have seen the whole church growing together, growing in fellowship, and also fasting together. And we have seen how God has grown this church from 96 disciples to 151. And we are so excited to see what God is going to do in our future life. For God, all the glory. In 2011, Steve and Sandy Jacoby were living in Florida. And in a two-month span of time, Steve lost his job of 25 years. And then they discovered that their house was sitting on top of a sinkhole, meaning that they lost their home. Rather than moping or giving up, they figured that God had opened a door for them to use their time, money, and lives to serve the poor in Nicaragua. We're proud to say that their sacrifice was not in vain. Uh, we took some time and invested in, in some training uh, to learn how to teach English um, uh, to adults. It's the best way that Nicaraguans can improve their, um, their level of income. You know, we didn't come with hope. We didn't come with any, any, anything. We just figured we would just kind of find out where God's leading us. Then through a lot of prayer and persistence, we went to a hospital with burnt children, never really knowing what to make of that. And we have been so welcome to come and serve there. We spend lots of time there. There was one little boy in particular who was six years old who had actually been in the hospital for 30 days. We'd find out what was his favorite food and we would bring it to him. And you know, we would try to find ways to um, bring different toys, encourage him to do his physical therapy and so forth. And then three days after he left, he called us. Now, he lives three hours away from us, but he called and said, Sandy, when are you and Steve coming to visit and stay with my family? Another thing that we've had the opportunity to do is to come and spend time with uh, kids and families in a very poor um, barrio here in Managua called Naciones Unidas. And uh, every week, uh, Sandy has a story time with young kids, you know, reading fairy tales and, you know, things that we've brought from the United States in Spanish, of course. Um, during that time, I have a, a time of tutoring, a math uh, with young kids and, and with older kids, just trying to help them to really, uh, really understand that that well. You know, we have really built good friendships, and we just are excited to see how God's going to use that to His glory. Here at Hot News, we respect the faith of the Andinos and the Jacobis, who bravely denied themselves for Christ. And this is exactly the kind of faith and sacrifice we need as a movement of churches to help win this world for Christ. Here at Hot News, we hope that you are inspired to dream about how God can help you to powerfully use your gifts for Him anywhere on this planet. God bless. We'll see you back at the website. Hey, man, isn't that awesome? I, um... My parents, uh, my parents, Jaime and Mimi de Anda, were part of the original mission team to go to Mexico City uh, back in 1987. I was like seven years old or eight, or eight I can't remember. But anyways, we're, I mean, it, was, it was my mom, my dad, and then me, my sister, and my two-year-old brother moving to a country we had no, I mean, we didn't even know Spanish. My parents spoke Spanish to each other, but spoke English to us. So we had to learn Spanish there. And, I look at that now as an adult, and look at these stories here as an adult now, with, with little kids now, and I'm asking myself, would, would I do something like that now? You see what I'm saying? 
I mean, these people stepped out of their comfort zone to go to a situation that was unknown. And God is blessing. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody's got to do this. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean that this is this year, I'm gonna, everybody's going to go, you know, on, on this mission field. Somewhere. That's not what I'm talking about, but it's the example of what, are we going to step out of our comfort zone? Are we going to sacrifice a little bit, work a little bit harder, do something more difficult? A couple of years ago, I, um, you know, my wife and I had been leading the youth ministry for over 10 years in the west side of L.A., and teen ministry is, that's what we do. We love the teen ministry. We love teenagers. We love helping teenagers. We love helping families. And then we um, got the call and the invitation to come and lead the family ministry in Long Beach. And so now this is, this is, this is my thought process was, well, I'm going to go from dealing with teenagers who have all, you know, ups and downs and all this kind of stuff, but we have a lot of fun to dealing with married adults. And I thought to myself, what, what do married people do? Because we just, you know, we go to teen devos, we, go, we hang, play video games with the teen, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, what? And there was a, a sense of, of, of fear because I know what to do with teenagers, but I have no idea what's going to happen when I start leading married adults. Anyways, needless to say, my wife, is, who, is all, who is more spiritual than I, decided to pray and said, this is, this is going to be good for us. We need to step out of our comfort zone. And two years ago, we moved to Long Beach. And it's not, I mean, it's like, what, 35 minutes away from where we used to live. It's not that big of a move. not a different country. It feels, because LA is so huge, and it feels like a totally different world. But, man, God... It's like God was just nudged, just nudged us out of the ship a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, just take a step out of your comfort zone and see what God can do. And I've dealt with, I mean, there's issues that I didn't, I didn't even know existed. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. Like, when's Teen Devo, you know? <laughs> like, let me, but... God has taught us so much, has humbled us so much, has kept us relying on him so much more because of stepping out of our comfort zone. You may look at that and be like, that's not a big deal. For us, it was, but maybe you have a bigger deal. Maybe you have something in your life that you feel like, you know what, I've been in this situation for a while, and I've been kind of going back and forth. Should I serve here? Should I do this? Should I not do that? What? Let me just do what's more convenient for me, what's going to help me meet my needs and my family. I want to challenge that thinking. I want to challenge that thinking, especially this year. What are you going to do that's out of your comfort zone, that's not convenient? Jesus, if you look at his life and his pattern, he was, in, he was inconvenienced all the time. And he always met that need. It was a part of his lifestyle. And for many of us, something that's not within our schedule or within our control can throw us off so, by so much that we get an attitude about it. I want to challenge your thinking. Don't be a vision buster. Don't allow this vision buster in your life. 
I'm just going to choose what's more convenient, what's more comfortable. No! Spiritual act of worship, living sacrifices. Amen? Vision buster number two, apathy. See those guys there just on their phones? Not even interacting. This is kind of how we deal with issues now, just kind of stare into space or stare into a screen without engaging. I, um, I read this, I shared this story at teen camp, so maybe the teens might remember this, but I don't know. Um, but there's another crazy story in the book of Numbers. And uh, so the, the Israelites were commanded by God, don't, do not intermarry with people from outside of the Israelite community. And the Israelites, because of their convenient nature and comfortable desires, decided to intermarry with, other pe- with, with the, the nation of Midian. And God, they did this for so long and so much that God got so upset that he decided to send a plague through the nation of Israel to weed out and find out what's the root of the problem. And, 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 and somebody's going to have to do something. And there, so the, all the whole Israelite community gets together, and they're at church, and Moses and the elders are there, and Moses is like, we're all praying, we're try- they're trying to figure this thing out. How are we going to stop this plague and get God's grace back? And in the middle of church, in front of the church, one of the Israelite men takes a Midianite woman, Midian, Midianite from the, uh, another nation, and they, people see this happening. He takes her into his tent to have sex with her. This is happening during this assembly. Moses doesn't do anything. The elders don't do anything. But this one guy sees the situation. His name is Phineas. And Phineas goes, this is a crazy story. You've got to read this. Phineas sees this situation, goes, takes a spear, goes into the tent as they were there, and stabs them both. The spear goes through both bodies. And God shuts down the plague. That's the craziest story. The Bible's got some crazy stuff in here, but it, it's real stuff. These are real people. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. Since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him, I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. God looked at Phinehas and said, this man is full of zeal for God and his righteousness. The people, this couple was messing around during church. Phineas got up and did something about it. We live in a very kind of 
whatever type of society and culture, kind of politically correct. It's easy, and it's easy as we get older spiritually to become cynical and sarcastic and to lose some of the passion and excitement we had when we first made the decision to follow Christ. Then in the fellowship, you know, in our relationships, we can, be, we can become very politically correct with each other when dealing with sin in our lives and, and in others' lives. And, well, it's not that bad, so, oh, you struggle, well, I struggle too. Well, well let's all struggle together, and we'll pray for each other. And, you know, it's, it's, and, you know there's a place and a time for these kind of things, right? And, and, and to relate and to help each other out. We, we need that. But, man, my fear is that my daughters would grow up in a lukewarm fellowship where anyone can hide out in their sin and just coast, and nobody does anything about it. I want to challenge us to be passionate about the house of the Lord. You know, a very similar thing happened in Jesus' in Jesus's time, except without the whole plague and the spear stabbing and all that kind of stuff. But if you read in John chapter 2, uh, Jesus is walking up uh, to the temple, and he realizes that people are selling doves, and it's become a marketplace instead of a house of prayer. And so what Jesus does, he premeditates this. He goes back, and he makes his little uh, whip and everything like that. And I can just imagine what he's thinking. I'm so ticked off at these people. What's wrong? It's, they're destroying. They're, they're disgracing the house of God. And, they go, and he goes up there, and Jesus... The Son of God just goes off, flipping tables, whipping things out of the way, the cows and the cattle and the, and the doves and, getting, and the money changers. And, getting, and his disciples, his followers, they're not like trying to, they don't try to like stop him. Like if some, they're, they're in awe. They sit there, and they watch this happen, and maybe Peter got in the mix too, you know, because Peter liked to, to mess around too, right? And, and in John chapter 2, it says to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. I'll follow Jesus. I want to follow that Jesus. He did. That's what the disciples said. They, this guy is different from our religious leaders and our Pharisees. He's actually doing something about the situation and not just let, let's have all these discussions to cancel this marketplace. He's actually doing something. I want us to not become apathetic towards sin, whatever or about impurity or greed, whatever about lack of righteousness. The Christian life is an adventure. It's a journey. It's not, it's not just a, it's not a routine. I want us to be excited about our walk with God, amen? Excited about reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. We need to engage. Give Satan a reason to attack. I want to challenge the men here. Brothers, I have a challenge for the brothers here. 2014, we need husbands to engage in the battle for their wives and their children. 
engage. You know how many times in the teen ministry I got phone calls from moms concerned about the spiritual welfare of their children? And I would say, where's dad? You know how many times we'd have these youth ministry nights, these parent nights? We'd have these parent nights and all the high school students and the junior high students and all the parents would come. We'd have more moms there than dads all the time. Oh, well, he was tired. He had to stay home. And Oh, well, you know, we have the little one, so you want to stay home with the little one. And I'm like, where's dad? Engage. It's not your wife's responsibility. It's yours. I'm very passionate about this. Very passionate about our men leading the households. Men leading their wives. A lot of times, a lot of times, men, we don't want, we don't, we don't want to do anything. We don't want to engage because we don't know how to. My wife is saying some crazy stuff. I, I, I'm just, I'll just go to work. <laughs> you know? My kids are out of control, and my house is a mess, and I'm just so overwhelmed and tired. I'm just going to I'm just going to zone out. Sports Center. This is, this is our tendency because as men, we, we want to be doing something that we know what we're doing. Sometimes family life is like we have no clue what we're doing. And so we check out instead of engaging. I want to challenge us as men to engage. To engage. We need men to lead. We need men who have zeal for the house of God. We need men who will turn the money changers over and the tables and whip the cattle out of here and say, as for me and my households, we will serve the Lord. God wants his people to live lives to his glory and to seek what has been lost. Can you dream with me a little bit here? Imagine, imagine seeing this church become a church of thousands, meeting in different areas, to the point where now you have three worship services, you have five or six. Imagine, imagine seeing God use the Lighthouse Church to have such an impact on the community that when the community thinks of a group of people who can meet a need at the drop of a hat, they automatically think the Lighthouse Church. Imagine that, imagine that it's just a pattern, a rhythm for our children to become disciples because of the family being built in the church. Imagine a college ministry of, over, of hundreds of students just here in this, in the, at Kyle Poly and Mount Sag. Imagine that we are known as a church that continues to send people to other churches and regions and as missionaries to serve and help and meet needs. It's just kind of something that just happens because the Lighthouse Church is just a giving church like that. And, all our, and our empty nesters especially are the ones who are on the front lines of going and serving and meeting needs. Imagine a church where when people think of marriage and family, they automatically know that they can be equipped and given tools right here in the Lighthouse Church. 
as we strive to help marriages stay strong and reconnect and parents be confident as they raise their children. Imagine seeing Bible talks on every high school in this area. You know, teenagers, you got a dream too. You got to think big too. You got to have vision. I want to challenge us, church. I want us to see the patterns of the Old Testament. We need to have vision. God has vision for his people here and now. Let's be careful not to allow convenience and comfort taint God's vision. We need to live lives of sacrifice. Our greatest investment is in God and in his work on earth. Maybe this year you need to give more resources, more time, Maybe you need to go on a mission this summer to Latin America. Maybe you need to go into the teen ministry and be a teen leader. Maybe you need to serve as a campus shepherd. Maybe you need to be an usher. Maybe you need to lead a small group. Maybe you need to step out of your comfort zone and see what God does. Don't be a vision buster. Let's be careful to not allow apathy to taint God's vision for the church. We need zeal, passion to uphold the holiness of God and his mission for the church. Engage. Clear the temple of hypocrisy and double standard living. Deal with the sin in the small group. Stop waiting for someone else to say something. You say something. You do something. Apathy to God's law killed the Israelites to where a whole generation grew up who knew nothing about God and his victories. I want us to be careful for the sake of the next generation to not allow this to happen, to stop sitting on the sidelines, to engage, full throttle, go forth, help people. Teenagers, I see the teens right here. I'm going to talk to teenagers real quick. Teenagers, pay attention. I know you haven't listened to anything. Pay attention to this one. (laughs) Teenagers, you need to engage. There's stuff happening right now in the teen ministry, and you know it. I would always get the phone calls like, do you know that so-and-so is so-and-so and so-and-so? Eight people know this, and nobody has said anything? Deal with the issues, guys. Don't wait for your teen leaders to say something or for your teen leaders to come up with a devotional to do something. When I was a teen, we had a situation when I was like 15 or 16, or about 16, and we had no teen leaders. It was 20 of us, no teen leaders, no adults. And we were going through transition, and we are like, what are we going to do? And we just got together, the four or five of us, and we said, let's have teen devotional. And let's just plan it our own, our, ourselves, and we'll just do it. And all of a sudden, for the, next, for the next month or so, we just did our own stuff. And we led our own teen ministry without any adults. I mean, the parents were involved. So don't get me wrong. I mean, you know what I'm saying. But we engaged. We didn't wait and sit there and just tell us what to do, and we'll do it. Teenagers, you have conviction. You have passion. Do something. Don't sit there and wait for somebody else to do it. You do it. Be a Phineas in the teen ministry. And so what shall we say 
in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's stand together. We're going to close out with a prayer and we'll be dismissed.